Hello, this is Netflix's, HBO's and internationally successful comedian Daniel Sloss's voice here to help promote Brad Scott's, I don't know what it's called, whatever his new fucking thing is, whatever this new fucking thing is that he's doing, this thing that you're listening to, I endorse it uh, because despite the fact that very little that he's done has gone well, I still believe in the cunt, so... Hopefully this is it. Hopefully this is the thing you need. Enjoy, enjoy the podcast, the show, the f- whatever this fucking is. Enjoy it. The Subjective Comedy Podcast with Brad Scott. Brad Scott is a mediocre comedian, an annoying podcast host, and worst of all, my dad. Pray for me. So before we tell you two really depressing stories, we thought we would give you two heartwarming stories to warm us out of this cold open. Earlier today, I went to BioLife to donate plasma because I'm a good person who cares and I want to save lives. And I was standing in line. There were these two women and this black gentleman. And all of a sudden, he looks at me and he goes, man, you look like Tom Jones. And I swear to God, it was one of those just great, you know, comedic moments of lightning that struck me. And I, my first response was just, that's not unusual. I hear that a lot. <laughs> and then he goes... Hey, actually, you actually you look like a white usher, which anyone in the Brad Scott Podomatic Cinematic Universe is saying to themselves right now, that's insane. And you're right, 100%. I look nothing like usher or a white usher. I don't look like an Asian usher or Hispanic usher. I look nothing like usher. But the ironic thing is, Brent, when I was in high school, we used to do these weird field trip type things coming out of winter break where you either take a bicycle trip to Florida or you go to, uh, you know, Smoky Mountain hiking for a week. Mm -hmm. And my best friend Keith and I were very ambitious at the beginning of the year. So we signed up for Florida bicycle trip. It sounded like the most fun. Yeah. And then when it got to be like two weeks before uh, that and the permission slips of money were due, that's when we both came to the realization we're poor. (laughs) And so we had to literally pick from what was not full. So it's like eight classes. Keith and I went with competitive swimming and diving, which is a class that is specifically designed so that the swim team can practice while they're not technically supposed to practice. Cause I guess we had a really good swim team. That's, that's the, that's the, how athletic my high school was. We were known for our swimmers and uh, Keith and I figured either they're going to just put us in the diving well in the warm water and let us sit like it's a hot tub all day Mm -hmm. or they're going to have us try to keep up with them in practice, which will be hilarious. Yeah. So we took competitive swimming and diving. We're on a bus trip to like uh, a university. That's that was how they, validated right we would go to different college and university and different pools that just so happened to be competitive links and everything else but we were learning about these pools they would have somebody come out and tell us that they put chlorine in the water to keep it clean it's like oh okay it's a learning experience it's not technically illegal practice and not denying kids the chance literally designed for them to expand their horizons but instead be forced to participate in practice, yes, we talking about practice, but mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about that was Keith and I were actually kind of rebellious at the time because it was a vacation for us because we got to literally sit in a hot tub for a week. And the other option available, I believe, was country line dancing. Oh man, 
So we're on this bus trip. I wake up. I fall asleep. I wake up because I am hearing the yelling of my best friend Keith with half the girls' swim team, and they're screaming, yes, he does. And Keith is going, no, he fucking does it. You guys are blind. And I can relate. And the girls are yelling, yes, he is. And Keith is yelling, or yes, he does. And Keith is going, no, he doesn't. And I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? And Keith goes, they say you look like a white usher. <laughs> and I just turned around because I had heard this from the girls swim team. And I said, no, it's just the, the baby face of mousy eyes. Because in high school, believe it or not, I hadn't started smoking cigarettes yet. So I hadn't begun my premature aging process. Now, uh, I... I do notice that I get certain people a lot of like celebrity lookalike, right? I get mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Jake Johnson from New Girl. I get my voice gets uh, my voice actually gets told that it looks a lot like Charlie Day's voice from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which basically means it's raspy. And sometimes it gets a little high when I get excited. That's all that means. And I've heard that now for the past few years. And, um, the weird thing is there's we all have I think one maybe embarrassing well most of us have one embarrassing celebrity like kind of look alike that we're not proud of when somebody compares us to yeah. it's not f- the most flattering you know uh social socially historically right and I have mine and for some reason and this might give you an insight into how my brain works I volunteer this one anytime people don't mention it mm-hmm <laughs> Honestly, Tom Jones, White Usher, that's a good day. Yeah. But the Brad Scott philosophy is, no, 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 no. Let's throw some self-deprecation on this. Hey, do you guys know who I get told I look a lot like that I hate getting told? Again, hey, Mr. Bean. And they're oh. like, oh, we see it. And I'm like, yeah, I hate it. And they're like, well, asshole, you're the one that brought it up. Yeah. So, yeah, Mr. Bean. And here all that is, by the way, let's. Let's break that down and fix it. All that is is a long nose, dark eyebrows. Me, Mr. Bean, Steve Carell. Hold our photos up to each other. We look nothing alike. See one of us somewhere, 10 feet away. We all kind of resemble each other. (laughs) Again, it's our human minds. See three features, and that becomes look alike. That's my defense of not looking like Mr. Bean. downloading the premiere episode of the showdown and uh we the showdown <laughs> afternoon ladies and gentlemen this is another episode of Wrestlemania, your father's favorite podcast and your mom hates it the brad scott experience brad scott's redemption welcome to brad scott live subjective comedy starts right now It was originally just called Stand Up, You Lazy Piece of Shit. Uh, what's this do like a, a bison? A bison? How are you going to yeah. fit a bison in there? Yeah, no Crazy. way in hell a bison just can live in here. 
could be like an old bison, like adopted old, you know, that means. <laughs> what? A dying bison? <laughs> Who doesn't like The Simpsons? Do me a favor. If you do, if you guys do want to hit the stretch, of course, tonight, just be careful. Don't upset it. You wouldn't like this. We oh, I wouldn't upset it. It's because that's that Bruce Banner. The second heartwarming story. I was taking the bus earlier, and the driver, whose name is Tiona, said, Nice hat. And if you've paid attention to our social media lately, you might have noticed I have a new hat. It is a hat that's got the trans pride flag on the bill, and it has a white front and the kind of a pinkish trucker style back. And rarely, especially in Indianapolis, do I get, you know, acknowledged by fellow allies. So we started chatting i mentioned that you know my trans son and i mentioned how uh i had you know taken a photo with them wearing a shirt that said trans kid me wearing shirts that transparent and then we got talking she told me that she's a mother and has a 18 year old autistic son living at home with her who is uh six this is how she put it by the way these are her words six three 300 pounds, black, and asked me for blue hair. Mm-hmm. And she was just telling me, like, she, she's always been supportive of her son and wants him to feel like him and be happy, but at the same time, she doesn't get it, and she's worried, I think, maybe that he'll endure some sort of, like, you know, teasing from other people or just some sort of unwanted attention from people who mean him no good, right? Mm-hmm. And out of, I don't know why, but just for some reason, this really struck a chord with me. And I knew at that moment that I, I had, I had the perfect advice for her, because it's similar to having a kid who's trans. Whereas the world wants to judge them, all you care about is them being happy and getting to be themselves. Right. I was like. Oh my God, I have the perfect advice for you. Trust me when I say, I know that you don't understand the blue hair and you won't. Like, it's not going to make sense to you. But trust me when I say that if you don't let him dye his hair blue now, when he turns 30, he is going to murder three people and dye their hair blue. And she literally laughs so hard. <laughs> she smacked the steering wheel. I said, I tell you what you do. And I said, this is something I got better at as a parent and was given advice by, you know, uh, friends and people who had kids and everything else about make, making special moments in their life. Uh, Steve Simone, a great comedian talks about, uh, a story when his father woke him up in the middle of the night to have ice cream. And that's something I'll never forget. These special moments you can create with your kids that kind of also strengthen bonds. I was like, trust me when I say just, you seem like a great mom. You, you love them. Uh, more than anything, want him just to be happy no matter what. She's like, yeah, and I'm like, you won't get it. Like, you're not gonna get it. I we're about the same age. Trust me, all this shit the young people are into, you're not gonna understand any of it. 
it's not going to make any sense to you. But trust me when I say, if you deny him blue hair because you think you're protecting him from something, you're going to make him the outcast because young people have evolved to where they don't care about something as benign as hair color. Does it? They don't want to be confined to just these limited choices of so-called natural hair. And I'll be honest, I feel like it's normalized to the point where I've been in several situations over the past few years where I'm with people who are, you know, leading professionals in their industry mm-hmm. and it's bright pink hair. And I don't even notice anymore. Like it does not stand out in any way to me. I, yeah, it's hair, mm-hmm. you know, and I actually appreciate that we've gotten more artistic with stuff like that. Uh, if we all look the same, it would be a boring world, right? We'd yeah. all be Ben Affleck. <laughs> and it, uh, it, it immediately kind of reminded me of like my situation with my kid. And I told her, I said, I have great advice for you. You could do to just make like a very special moment. Either make the appointment or you buy the blue hair dye for him. Mm-hmm. Take him. I go, I promise you, he'll remember that the rest of his life. And it will mean the world to him because especially because you've been a little reluctant at first, this not only shows evolution, acceptance, change, like that's such a big thing, I think, to a kid. Oh, yeah. Especially I'm sure a kid who's, you know, overweight and autistic. I'm sure life has not been easy and I'm sure life has been cruel unjustly numerous times. That's, but I feel like he's where I feel like he's still here because again, Tiona sounds like the most amazing mom because well, you could just feel her love for her kid, and I get to I I honestly believe she's going to do it. Yeah, like that's cool. I honestly I and I told her about the podcast. She's already followed it. Oh cool. And Tiona, if you're listening, because I'm gonna message you, mm-hmm. so you've gotten my message that says Tiona, I mentioned you on the podcast. Right. By the way, this woman also has one of the best sense of humor. Because, again, I told her that if she did not allow her son to dye his hair in 12 years, he was going to murder three people and dye their hair blue. Yeah. And, again, she smacked the steering wheel. She's the best sense of humor. So she also, by the way, isn't just an incredible mom with an incredible sense of humor. She's also a grandmother who's raising their grandchild. Ooh. And she's raising the grandchild because her daughter was murdered. She told me about this grandson. This kid is seven. And actually, this kid kind of reminds me a lot of... This kid is obsessed with horror movies. Oh. Right? Yeah. And so, Tiona's telling me about... Again, just like, ah, it's just like... He's seven. It's so weird. I don't get it. You know? Uh, and I'm like, no, no, Tiona. He's brilliant. Horror is the best genre. We all know that. She's like, no, but he's watched like... Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all these other, you know, movies. I'm like, Tiona, I took my child to see Stephen King's It, the remake, the rated R version, in the theaters on opening night when they were nine. And I said, my child has grown up watching horror and it says that. I said, I love horror. It's my favorite genre. I said, that, your grandson, is just brilliant. And then she tells me this story First story was that her uh, her grandson's teacher had called talking about he keeps talking about this guy Jason, and she said Tiona said, "Did he say Jason Voorhees?" <laughs> then Tiona proceeds to tell me about how he got mad at her 
because of a horror movie she enjoyed, and he was calling it dumb and everything else. And then all of a sudden, Tiona goes on a streak of telling me about all these horror movies she liked. And I'm like, what the hell, Tiona? What don't you get? <laughs> First of all, would it be weird if I asked to be your grand seven-year-old grandson's best friend because he sounds fucking awesome? Right. That's a kid I want to hang out with. Watch. Can I watch Dahmer with him? And I swear <laughs> to God, Tiona's response. And it's not like, not even say, without missing a beat, she just said, I don't know if he's seen that yet. <laughs> Again, the kid just seems so cool. I was like, oh, so don't worry, Tiana. Like, my my kid's first DVD that they owned at like five or six years old was South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. So <laughs> you're good, Tiona. You are an amazing mother, an incredible grandmother, and we salute you. Thank you so much for your kindness and for getting me home safely. Subjective Confidential presents the case of, hey, that's a car, Jack. Welcome to Subjective Confidential. These are a new, just kind of random series of episodes we'll do from time to time where we dig a little deeper into maybe things that are going on in my life. We will do deep dives into things that have happened in my life that have impacted, you know, moments. So right now we're going to talk about something that I posted about on social media a few weeks ago. I'm going to give you the very bare bones of the context of backstory, basically. I know what you're more interested in hearing about or from on the situation. And that is going to be coming up shortly. An interview with my son about this. So I've been doing Uber and DoorDash for a few years now. And I've gotten really, you know, good at it. As good as you can be driving from one place, picking up food and dropping off at another place. I'm efficient, hard, workaholic, all that good stuff. And I'm a workaholic to the point where, right, and especially I have to be right now because my kid and I have had a rough few years. But the most challenging has been this one. Uh, we were past couple of years living just he and I and actually things are getting better at my mom's house fixing it up and whatnot and unfortunately with very little notice my uncle who has acted very strangely over the past couple of years especially when it's come to issues around my mom and the possible selling of her house over the years and maybe that would have been the best decision for everybody because it could have possibly fixed a lot of things in a lot of people's lives. Again, back to very strangely, especially for him, very out of character, very unpredictable. He basically tells us we have a few days to get out and he has a realtor coming in and supposedly the retirement home my mom has been at is going to take control of the property and sell it and take all the money from the sale and it's just it's a strange situation with again you we would have to do a deep dive to really cover it all but to the extent of it felt very fishy in a lot of ways he gives us again a few days you gotta be out of coming with a realtor for the nursing home but it ended up being Friends of his that I recognize. So skip ahead a few weeks. We found, you know, a temporary place to stay and hopefully uh, rebuild. But it's not our home. It is a home that is welcome to in. But it's, again, temporary. So if you know me, that, that means I feel like I'm on the clock. I have to provide. There's only one parent, you know. It's honestly not this amazing test of will. It's fucked. God damn it. Everybody else left. So just me. Okay. So... 
workaholic mode engaged, see the kid for about 20 minutes in the morning, and then 20 minutes at night. Well, in these situations, we've learned, especially over the past couple of years with like COVID and everything, we can actually have a fun bonding experience with him riding along with me on deliveries and listening to Cinephobe, which is our favorite podcast. It's on the Metal Arc Media Network, hopefully the future home of subjective comedy. Please feel free to reach out to Metal Arc and tell them what they're missing with subjective comedy with Brad Scott. Get it on the Metal Arc lineup. It, honestly, during a lower point when he had attempted suicide, Cinephobe, it sounds strange, especially if you know the show, Cinephobe was one of the things that really helped us heal from a suicide attempt he had because he's a transgender kid in Indiana and had a shithead bully of a seventh grade teacher his kids dealt with a lot so we take advantage of every opportunity we can get to spend time together because he knows how hard i'm working to get us you know just back on level ground and he's riding along with me like he has a thousand times it's getting to be 3 a.m so a lot of the restaurants aren't even open anymore I'm about to close off the DoorDash app and I see the delivery comes in. It's $15 and it's like a two mile trip, which is, you know, really good money. And it's like, that'd be a great way to end the night. It was from a store called Dash Mart, which is basically just a on the go delivery only convenience store here in Indianapolis. I pull into this Dash Mart, like I have a thousand times. I park right up by the front door and it's just a very small parking lot. There's a car leaving as I'm parking, depending on a location, whether I've experienced with it or not and feel safe like I did with this location. In spite of its neighborhood, which if you live in Indianapolis, you're, you're, you're familiar with the area. This place has always been a very good dash mart. Dashers know it's a place that's very, you don't wait around a lot at this dash mart. It's very fast. And it's one of my favorite places to deliver from because of that reason. Because the faster I can get to this delivery, I can get to the next one and make more money. So I go inside. I pick up the delivery. One different thing. She asked me if I wanted, because Dashboard also, when they have close to expiring foods or other items that needed to be cleared for space, they will just give them to Dashers, which is a very nice thing. And she asked, do you want some ice cream? Free ice cream. I was like, oh, sure. I'll give it to the kid. So... She literally walks back over to the freezer and walks back. This entire interaction, I imagine, was probably two minutes. I walk outside, and my car is gone. And panic sets in immediately. I drop the bags. I take off running. But honestly, for being real, I had no idea where I was running to because the car, like, visibly was out of sight. So I was just running out of panic and adrenaline and fear. I thought my kid was gone. I lost my kid. I'll never see my kid again. Uh, I'll never forgive myself. This is the worst moment of my life. I am screaming at the top of my lungs. They stole my car. They stole my car. My kid was in the car. My kid was in the car. And I call 911. She keeps asking me what the address is. I'm like, it is the Dash Mart on Michigan Street. She's like, what's the address? I'm like, it's the Dash Mart on Michigan Street in Indianapolis near... 70 the interstate and she's like okay but like what's the cross street and i was just like if you can't figure it out from the dash mart on michigan street 
in Indianapolis near 70, then you know what? Don't really feel like you guys are competent enough to do much else in, in fixing this situation. So I'm going to hang up. I need to call my kid to see if I can reach my kid. And I call, because I'll be honest, that should have been my first move regardless. I should have called the kid immediately and said, jump out. But we're trained to think 911 is your first move. And all that did was waste time. I then call my kid. So as I was either, I'm sure it rang or I was on hold for 911. And again, this was very blurry. And I'm getting the facts as close to uh, accurate as I can. But we all know the human mind, especially one as small as mine, uh, does not do a good job of retelling memories of time. But I'm most of this is very vivid. Uh, I hang up and immediately hit the button to call rec with and it goes to his voicemail which terrifies me right because my thought is he doesn't have his phone or somebody else has his phone so i'm just running like almost like a giant circle from like one side of the street to the other just screaming and out of nowhere i hear dad being screamed and so i follow the sound and it's on the interstate. And there's Requin. He runs down. I grab him. I don't let him go. The most relieved feeling I've ever had in my entire life. We get back to the dash mart. Uh, I will say this. And it's a testament again to how well that place is ran on the inside. Those employees shout out. I don't know their name. Shout out to those employees. They cared. They sincerely cared about my kid and about me. And I saw the look and sense of relief on them when we both walked over there. We call the police. The police come, take all the statements and everything. It's something you don't kind of ever think about in these kind of situations. He stole my weed, too. My weed was in my goddamn car. And I know it's a, it's a stupid, silly thing, but I want you to now think about this. The most traumatic experience of your life. You use weed medicinally every day as an anxiety reducer. The most traumatic experience of your life. And you have absolutely no way to protect your mental health from it. Not only that, he stole my prescription of Adderall. I've been prescribed Adderall, if you can't tell from this show, for, God, over 10 years, I think. So my body's pretty physically dependent on it. My mind certainly is. And my cigarettes. Three things that will help with my mental health right now. And you're saying, well, Brad, that sounds like you actually need three way different things. You're right, okay? You know what? You're right. You have your vices. I have mine. They were all taken away from me. And on top of that, I'm having to make sure I hold it together because as bad as that was, I can't imagine the kid. It, it's just, it's every parent's nightmare, as the cliche says. But until you go through that a similar experience, if you're a parent now, I know it sounds cliche. I hope you get to think of it as a cliche for the rest of your life. Because that shit haunts you. And we will absolutely be making jokes at some point. As dark as Rick One and I sense of humor is, even uh, we even we're like, you know, I'm starting to come around where I can make very light passing jokes, 
And I'd prefer to even do that than have to talk about the actual situation again, because that's way more reliving it. And the more I make these dumb light jokes, like the title of this episode being, hey, that's a carjack. That's my way of desensitizing myself to it bit by bit. And I don't have to relive it with a dumb joke. I have to relive it doing this podcast. This podcast is way more traumatic than any joke you'll hear at some point on the show. But if you see me in public and I'm with my kid, this is not, you want, you know what? This is maybe going to be a podcast first. If you see me in public with my kid, have some respect and make jokes about his mother. He hasn't seen in a decade. Who's on heroin. Okay. Be a decent human being. Make jokes about his failure. Uh, of a father. Hey! I wrote this copy too. This is the best joke for him. So, <laughs> again, I wanted to slightly lighten it up there, but what you're about to listen to next was difficult for to, for us to listen to, and and as I want you to imagine, as difficult as a listen is, is going to be for you, it's still not close to what the kid actually went through. So, we're going to take a break. And we will be right back with my son, Requin Scott. He will give you his perspective. You are listening to the new spinoff, Subjective Confidential, part of the Subjective Comedy Network. Hey, Requin, how's your week been? It's been good. Uh huh. So, for half of this episode, we gave a backstory as to what you and I have been dealing with the past few years leading up to what happened about a week and a half ago. And why don't you just give us kind of what happened through your perspective? So, um, you know, I was doing door dashing with you, and I decided to take a little nap in the back of the car, and then I woke up to someone who was not you driving the car, uh, and, you know, I was a bit quiet at first, and I was really confused, because my first thought was, is this one of my dad's friends, or am I just seeing things, because I was half awake. Did you initially say something to them, or did they say something to you? They said something to me. So they noticed you before you said anything? Yeah. And what did they say? Uh, get out of the... Um, I heard, like, who are you? What are you doing in here? Get out of the car before I effing shoot you. And they stopped? Uh, they slowed down. Okay. And when you got out, did you recognize anything around you or where you were at all? Not really. It took a few moments. At first, when I saw the Louisville sign, I got real panicked. Like, you you thought maybe you had actually... Been put in Kentucky. Okay. The worst place on earth. (laughs) Uh, no, we don't mean that, Kentucky listeners. We love your great state. All two of you. Surprisingly, you're actually probably more progressive than we are here in Indiana. But anyways, so then then what happened? Um, I tried to call you at first, mm-hmm. and you didn't pick up. So, Well, no, I think what happened then was I think that's either when I was in the middle of calling 911 or calling trying to call your phone. Because mm-hmm. I... Yeah, I think it was when I was trying to call your phone, because I went right to your voicemail, and I think because we were probably literally calling each other right at the same time, you went right to my voicemail. Yeah. Because the way you phrased that made it sound like I was just like, wreck when, silence, you know? So, you, at, when you couldn't get a hold of me, what didn't happen? Um, at first, I started panicking, thinking, this guy killed my dad. My dad is dead. Um, and... You know, I texted you, and we just found each other, because it turns out I wasn't in Kentucky. No, thankfully, you were, you know, somewhat close. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I said on, on the first half of this, that's probably the most relieved moment I've ever felt in my entire life. Brent argued, because at first I said the happiest moment, and then I thought, no, no, it still wasn't a happy moment because it's just the ending of a traumatic situation. It's definitely the most relieved moment I felt. Again, when we were watching Barbenheimer, I was much happier than in that uh, situation. So we talked to the police, and then a detective came over, showed you photos, and you picked out the person. Mm-hmm. So kudos, good for you. And what has it been like dealing with the situation the past 10 days afterwards? Um, It's been really hard because, like, it's been really hard because, like, you know, I have to deal with the whole panicky feeling whenever I get into a car, even Ace's car. Um, Which Ace is a, a friend of yours. Yeah. Um, The feelings of unsafe, of, like, no security. Um, whenever I'm anywhere, constantly feeling like there's like I'm going to be shot at any moment, not being able to like deal with guns, and it feels really bad because you know a lot of my friends like to talk about guns for some reason. Yeah, that does strike me as strange because I know your friend group, and they don't—they're not big NRA people. They're part of the IRA. We we talk to your therapist. You talk to your therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, did she have any advice as far as what you can do to maybe help? Um, try and ground myself, send myself to my room, uh, <laughs> and you know, try and find best distractions. You know, focus and escapism. Project, pr- project through art. I don't think I've ever grounded you. No. No, I'm just that, that's. I just thought of that. Like that's a. That's. I you've. I've never grounded you. Like you have that. That is one childhood experience I have, like, deprived you of, is yeah. being grounded to your room. I mean, a lot of the times I ground myself because I never leave there. You're a good kid. I haven't had to ground you. I, and honestly, you kind of deprived me of that parenting moment of being able to say, you go to your room, you're grounded. I mean, you have sent me to my room before, but never for, like, days on end. No, never even with like a time limit. I've also never been like, you're not going blah, blah, blah. You're grounded. The most I'm... rebellious thing I've done today was go to the park with your permission. <laughs> That's the most rebellious thing you've done ever. It's got to be the most traumatic thing you've ever dealt with. Yeah. Um, has it affected sleep in um, any way? It's affected me sort of. At first, it was hard to get sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I just sleep too much. Okay. That's also partially probably laziness. Runs in the family. Yes. It, it, well, no, it, it does not run in the family, Brent, because oh, really? the family's lazy. It, 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 it cruises at a slow altitude in the family. So, all right, well, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like this is the both. How are you dealing with everything else besides this situation? Because our life did get kind of chaotic suddenly. So how are you adjusting to everything else? Um, I've been. <laughs> well said. Well that said. That was the point. That, that was really the point. I got it. I mean, I don't know. I feel like things are looking up, though. They don't are you? looking up. Like what I could have been seeing after I got shot. If I got shot. All right. Well, we uh, are Still getting... Still funnier than him. We are getting ready 
to uh, record the Barbenheimer episode. I fucking love Barbenheimer. Sorry. I do honestly, though, appreciate you being able to share that experience in spite of how traumatic it was. Hopefully this was a bit therapeutic for you. Was it? Was it? 